five minute podcast we're doing 997 Secret Jurassic Park one minute time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're here to discuss minute 40 of The Lost World. Dave, how you doing? Good, good. I can't believe we're at minute 40 already. Yeah, we are, uh, we're flying along. It's good. Yeah, we are. It's good. Not a lot to uh, add pre-game this week. Uh, not much news coming out. There's been a bit of news out of Hawaii with one of the, uh, one of the bunker type sets we've seen in filming. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Bunker has been revealed as. As a gyrosphere maintenance shed. Yeah. Which is uh, interesting. It's not something I'd <laughs> describe as a shed, but then again, I suppose the uh, the maintenance shed in Jurassic Park um, wasn't really that as well as sort of a bunker type structure. Yeah. It also begs the question I mean, that's kind of a small shed, so does it go partially underground? How many gyrospheres do they have? I always imagine they had like. 20 of them, and it doesn't look like it could fit any more than four or less than that in that shed. Yeah, well, I get it as, as maintenance, but yeah, definitely not storage. And because it's on a concrete foundation as well. Now, I'm pretty sure the set was dressed and there was sort of dirt around it um, mm-hmm. when it was filmed, but sort of, it's it's like where the gyrospheres come up to the gyrosphere station to get it out. It's on a purposely built trackway for it to uh, roll on so that glass bubble's not getting damaged. Because you start rolling that thing across concrete or gravel, and it's going to start getting chipped and yeah, scruffed up a bit. But um, my biggest thing about it was, especially when we've seen it before and before we realised what it was, is the big heavy iron doors that are on it. Um, seem a bit overkill for just a a garage or a shed, unless it's sort of out in the park area and not sort of in the amenities or in the visitor section. But then. It sort of makes you wonder, well, someone's got to drive out to it yeah. and, and work there or sit there if the doors open and work on gyrospheres while uh, the park's active or something. Why, why couldn't you put some visitors in these for uh, safety? That's why I was hoping they were actually Jurassic Park architecture and design, so no, we can't use them because they're old. They're not going to hold up to their IREX effort attacks or something like that. It's sort of a little bit of a... Mm-hmm little bit of an adding adding more stuff to Jurassic World that we didn't see in the in the film, but sort of not explaining that much, but we will see in under a year's time now. It's it's ticking along nicely. Yeah, yeah it is. has been presumed to be scavengers like jackals. Gives me the creep. It's like it's not scared. There haven't been any visitors to this island. There's no reason for it to fear man. No, it does. Alright, Dave, uh, if you're ready, we'll get into minute 40. Oh, uh, yeah, let's go. Alright. As we're in minute 39 of Lost World, Robert Burke and Dieter Stark were looking at a curious compi that had come in beside them. Burke was saying there had been no man on the island, which is why the compi doesn't appear to fear anyone. At 39 minutes and 3 seconds, Dieter brings a shock pod down to the small creature's head and touches it. A large blue arc and sparks shoot out and the compi scatters off, yiping like a dog. Dita replies, now it does. At 39 minutes and 10 seconds we cut to a dark jungle path. Dead animal carcasses litter the sides. Rowan and RJ have found the wreck's nest. At 39 minutes and 30 seconds we get a reveal of the wreck's nest and a baby T-Rex inside gnawing on a dead carcass. 
As we get a howling wind and the buzzing of flies, Roland tells RJ, the infant can only be a couple of weeks old and has probably never left the nest. At 39 minutes 52 seconds, after RJ asks Roland if they should set up a blind here, Roland says no, the nest's upwind and so are we. The trick is to get him to come to where we want him. The nest's upwind and so are we. When he comes back, well, he's going to know we're here before we even have a chance. And as the two men are overcome by CG flies, minute 40 comes to an end. So we get straight into Burke here after the previous minute. Um, Dead was asking him, or telling him it's creepy, it's like it's not even scared. And uh, Burke here, there's been no visits to the island, there's no reason for it to fear man, which um, is a good point. Yeah, but there has been visitors to the island, and they found that man is an easy meal. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. They've tasted tasted flesh now, so... Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, <laughs> Dita gives it a direct shock to the head, and mm -hmm. it, um, it goes scampering away, yiping or yelping like a like a dog, injured or a wounded animal anyway. Um, that thing broke, throws out a big blue spark, like a big arc, when it zaps. Yeah. Um, which makes me wonder that uh, they probably would have had some sort of stand-in with uh, a metal rod going through it or something, just so it could earth out and get those sparks, because it sort of it's hard to do that practically without actually using a electric prod. Yeah. But way too that's way overpowered too. You don't sort of get arcing like that with a, a standard cattle prod. No, no. I've I've always kind of uh, considered that this was kind of maybe specially built for him or by him, or it was like a, like it was a spe uh, special prod used to, for like really, really large animals, like maybe an elephant or something like that. Yeah. 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 Well, that's it. They know, he'd, he'd obviously know before he gets to the island exactly what they're going there for and sort of looking at weapons that can handle larger, larger mm -hmm. animals with thicker hides. Like we are saying with the uh, with the Pachycephalosaurus, when it was getting captured, sort of using those large tranquilizer darts, the same sort we see later with the T-Rex, just needing sort of a large dart like that to be able to get through an animal's hide, uh, more yeah. so than more so than delivering that much um, that much sort of tranquilizer. But but there's there's another thing from the script as well. When the uh, the Pachy the para goes down, there's actually a vet. They've got a vet with them. Um, yeah. And later on, when we get to the uh, the T Rex, it actually stops breathing, and they Ludlow starts panicking because the vet died um, in the ambush with the T Rex, and uh, mm -hmm. they don't know they don't know what to give it to, sort of get its heart going again because Roland put two darts into it. But um, yeah, it's just interesting. Now I took one, but I suppose they weren't expecting to be attacked at all. Um, no. But uh, we cut to Roland and RJ walking down a path, uh, flies everywhere, and again, sound design, just mm. the flies, you can hear them, they're climbing mm -hmm. all over you, even though I'm, I'm assuming that most of it's CG. Um, they were all CG, actually. Yeah. Uh, Pete Postlewith, a funny story, in the making of, he, it's mentioned that Pete Postlewith uh, was asked by Spielberg to swat him in front of his face, and Postlewith is like, why? This sounds stupid. And then Spielberg replies, he says that we're going to CGI some flies in and it's going to look silly if you don't. Yep. But then, a, like, a big game hunter like him, I, 
you can assume he's uh, he's camped out or set up blinds on carcasses before and sort of mm-hmm. flies flies crawling over his face isn't really a uh, a concern when he's got a predator downwind. Yeah, he's or, probably uh, used to it. Yeah, but yeah, it's a good little effect here. Um, spotting the flies now, they mm-hmm. uh, they walk past a sort of a partially eaten parasol office, which. Uh, is a nice big physical prop, but uh, something used from an earlier delayed scene. Yeah, it was originally used in the... It was originally designed and built for the opening of The Lost World, where a Japanese fishing trawler was going to um, haul in a dead Paris Rolophus carcass, and that was going to set the events into motion, was these aberrant forms that was borrowed from the novel. Hmm. But they plant. They ended up not doing that, and so they kind of just stuck it here on the rex nest. And then you can also see it again in the raptors, kind of little valley of death. Later on in the movie, when they slipped on that hill. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting where this whole concept for having the fishing boat comes in because it's not in the pre-San Diego script and it's not in the later shooting script. So there must be something in between where they must have been pretty pretty keen to actually do it because they built this prop that was going to be uh, pulled from the ocean in a fishing net which I reckon sort of would have suited the movie a lot more than uh, what we got in the novel because in the novel it's sort of Costa Rica trying to keep it quiet for the tourism yeah. and that where again like we've brought up before Costa Rica sort of isn't anywhere near these films where they're sort of the local government they're the ones that uh would be sort of patrolling the area, it's their waters, um, and later on when we see in Jurassic Park 3 where it's uh, all quarantined off, I'd assume mm-hmm. it's the uh, the Costa Rican National Guard or the army that's actually doing that, not the US military, because they'd have no... In the Jurassic Park 3 they mentioned that it's, um, to, I think at the end uh, of The Lost World, Hammond says he wants to bring in the Costa Rican National Preserves or Biological Preserves or something like that. Yeah. We already have to look back at the quote that Hammond says. But in Jurassic Park 3, it's the United Nations that's handling sanctions on the island. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And we'll get there, of course, at the end. But, um, yeah, it's just it, all of a sudden now you're, uh, you bring up the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to set up a set yeah. of rules and establish the island as a protected area. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm... And it's still, it all comes down to the lease, what's what. Because um, technically, InGen would still hold the lease for Nublar and Sauna, but then if Costa Rica discovered that, oh, you've been doing this there... Um, leases can be cancelled and everything else, especially with Finjan at Chapter 11, they've got no money to sort of keep the lease up. It's sort of... It's it's easy for Costa Rica to say, no, this is a hazard, we're just going to go in and bomb it like they do in uh, the first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just sort of interesting that that, um, that idea hasn't been brought up before in the films. It's just, oh yeah, America, you come here and do what you want in our backyard and we'll let you. Yeah. But we also get a... Um, a weird sort of... I don't think it's a score. It's more of a sound effect of wind howling. Um, yeah, it is. That was... Um, they used it a couple places in this movie. It was a recording of a walrus, like, howling or something like that. It was... Oh, okay. Um, the, yeah, they mentioned in the making of uh, 
featurettes on the DVD that they recorded this walrus howling, and it was kind of just like, or it was kind of like howling and whistling and something like that. And they were getting flecks of uh, fish thrown in, thrown in their faces. They're <laughs> this walrus whistling. Oh. <laughs> oh. And so, yeah, they place it in here to give it kind of that spooky effect, and they you can also hear it in the background when um, when Ian and Sarah are conversing in the redwoods. You can it's there's a background. They place it into the background, a little bit quieter. Oh, okay. Yeah, and this and I think it's meant to be wind howling through these through this grotto here. In the in the scripts, both of the scripts, it's actually more of a cave, but we never really see the full set here that they built so we don't really know how the extensive the set was because the lost world really went extensive with their sets mm. and all of them really and so um there's really not any good behind the scenes footage of this scene uh, from the scene so i don't know how big this set is i don't know if it's actually a full cave or just like a little grotto on the edge on the edge of some cliffs yeah, well, it'd have to be large because you got two adult tyrannosaurs needing to come and go and move around. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we get Rowan and RJ to sort of just come up over a little rocky outcrop to reveal the Rex nest. There's some dead carcasses yeah. in there and the uh, the baby ripping some flesh off a fallen prey. And it's sort of, yeah, it's it's really dark. you got sort of that shaft of light coming down on the baby, which mm-hmm. um, is your only real light source for the area. Um, even when we get a reverse shot here of the two guys standing looking down at the baby, it's sort of the only light behind them is coming down it looks like from a tunnel mm-hmm. like they're already in the cave but um... yeah, but in the, in the scripts there are this whole full cave system completely with stalactites and stalagmites and all the other trimmings that go with a cave and uh, <laughs> Oh, it's probably a nitpick, but uh, if that is in a ca- if it is supposed to be in a cave, how did the satellite infrareds pick up the Rex nest? <laughs> How'd they know where it was? <laughs> That's a good point. I suppose even you got to wonder if the uh, the canopy's really thick foliage. Um, even that would sort of throw off the infrareds as well a little bit. But um, now we get the reveal of the baby Rex here again, full animatronic. I don't think we see it. There's only one shot of it in CG, and that's at the very end, where it uh, yeah. takes down Ludlow. But um, doing its best here as a animatronic to interact with a piece of flesh. Um, mm-hmm. We get rolling infants, probably only a couple of weeks old, never left the nest. Well, we've seen footprints out near the game trail. Again, I'd just love to see it out there watching its parents hunt. Um, bring down a trike or a stegosaur. Um, mm-hmm. But um, offspring that young parents won't leave it alone for too long. Um, but that was that would kind of lends the to the idea that it has left the nest and that Roland doesn't just realize it because he, I'm sure he doesn't know how big a baby T Rex is and that is much larger than a couple of weeks old. I mean I have to say it's at least a month or more or at least two months or more. Yeah. Old because he's walking. He's uh, think about six foot long by now and that's way bigger than that's way bigger than your average uh hatchling you know 
Yeah, because I think the, uh, the Rex eggs in the Lost World novel are described, I think they're a bit larger than footballs, about a foot yeah. in diameter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit of growing between that and what we got here. Again, there's no uh, no eggs or baby sizes to compare to in the film the film universe, mm-hmm. but it's sort of a rough guide we can go off. Um, Actually, for um, Jurassic Park 3... And I don't know if this is just because the prop designer or whoever just really didn't like T-Rex. But there is a Hashling T-Rex that prop that they made for the Tronodon nest. And so you uh, you can't really see in the film, but you can see it in behind in behind the scenes and making of stuff. Oh. And it's just, it's not that big. I'd have to say it's a foot and a half long or probably less than that. And so it's much smaller than the baby T-Rex that we see here. Interesting. Yeah. Well, again, asks the question if they're uh, if they're really contained in that aviary or not. Mhm. Um, that uh, hashling T Rex would be wandering into the aviary, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's possible. Um, but I suppose it's also too like he's describing the infant um, to us and to RJ. Like, if you're gonna say yeah, an infant's infant's young, um, it probably hasn't. It probably hasn't left the nest before. Well, you, it's just sort of describing how young it is. Um, he's not going to say it's a young. It's probably only left the nest once or twice. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, both parents aren't here. We don't know where they are. Um, it, it sort of makes you wonder how far off the game trail are we? Did they hear the uh, the noises of the animals sort of bellowing and that after being chased by the vehicles? Or but then you'd think they'd attract it to them and not scare them away. Well, there's also the idea that they walked here, you know, so it's yeah. not it's too far. It couldn't be more than a mile or three, you know? Yeah, yeah. Then, again, they're not really, they're still, as far as we know, they're still on the exterior of the island, too, where all the predators yeah. are supposed to be in the interior, so. Mm-hmm. Well, this also lends the idea that there's more than just this family of T-Rex on the island, because... Um, the, the thermal signatures and the thermal signatures from in, or in our, uh, Hammond's map show that the show a Tyrannosaurus thermal signature much closer to the interior. Mm. And so this, uh, and I doubt they're walking like that far to get to the to get to the um, Rex nest. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and maybe maybe they've seen this family, all these two Rexes, they just sort of have a real small territory here, and that's why they sort of aren't too worried about the game trail. They know they're there, but um, they don't really venture out to the game trail that often. Because, um, again, no, if they know the T-Rex is there, then they're awfully blasé about uh, hunting the animals right in, their, right in their territory. You'd think it'd be one thing to stay clear, and... We don't even know what they're there after. If they're there just there randomly to get animals, if they've got an actual shopping list. Um, because all, for all we know, Roland's there to kill the the bull T-Rex. There's no capture <laughs> involved at all, as far as we know. And it's just sort of unlucky for Roland and lucky for Ludlow how the uh, film transpires at the end that he gets a dart into him and not a slug. Yeah. Um... So we get uh, RJ, you want to set your blind here and wait for the father to return. Um, again, sort of RJ being more of this uh, 
this offside tracker, someone that's hunted with Roland a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And the, this last, these last two minutes are really his introduction to the film. Because um, we didn't get that uh, that bar scene in Mimosa, but uh, no, no, didn't. Harvey yeah. Harvey Jason. Um, mm-hmm. He's been in a few things. He's a voice actor um, as well. Hasn't done a lot since uh, The Lost World. A couple of Star Wars gigs with uh, some games as his voice. Um, yeah. Well, Ajay is another character that kind of gets shoved to the side in the in this um, in this movie, and it's really unfortunate because in the scripts you learn a lot more about him, and so you kind of really learn to love this character in the script. And then he gets a really horrible death, and it's just really sad, and you feel for him. Mm. And you stuck in the long grass, and he just gives up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's it's sort of it's weird. Like here he is, he's helping Roland out. He's mm-hmm. more than more than capable as a um as a hunter himself, and as yeah. a sort of an offsider to Roland. And yeah, we get here. Here he's sort of helping out, then. He disappears and he's back again when they set their blind up and they got the Rex, the baby captured, mm-hmm. and then disappears. And then we get a couple of shots with while they're walking or trekking through the island, and then that's yeah. it. It's it's mm-hmm. just a weird. It's almost not worth having him in the the scene at all. I, but they kind of half-assed his disinclusion into the movie. And so when Roland says he's all depressed that his friend died, he's like, "Who's Archie again?" Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, that's it. You'd think he'd be more upset that Dita dies. Yeah, really. he's the one that's in in charge when they're not there. Like, that's another another friendship we don't know if it exists. Is it just that when they're recruiting the mercenaries or the the hunters that they said, Rodio, you've got you've got military experience or something, you're in charge. Um, mm-hmm. No, no, that's flushed out at all. But no, um, which is a shame because. He sort of he does some great stuff here. Yeah. And I just I've I've only sort of read up to this next bit where we get to the the hunters camp in both scripts. So it'd be interesting to go forward and see if he's actually got any more script wise coming up and what was cut and what wasn't. Um, but uh, Roland, no, best be upwind. Oh, the nests upwind, and so are we. When he comes back, we will know we're here without us even having a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives another big swat of those flies, and it's sort of here where you get that reverse shot. You can really see those CG flies; they they went overboard. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I mean, the whole the whole place must uh, smell terribly. You know, I mean, you got all those rotting car- carcasses and various degrees of ca- uh, decomposition, just kind of like laying all all over the place. Yeah, I had to. Um... <laughs> large rotting carcass in the tropical sun smells bad imagine like five of them yeah yep i had to uh i had to take some rubbish down to our, the property yesterday and um mm-hmm. we had two two cows that have died down there and they've sort of been dragged up into the uh the fire heap as well and just the smell and it's sort of it's not it's been cool here it's only it's only sort of start, starting to go out of winter but it's you can taste it. It's sort of it's not just smell. It sort of gets down your throat, um, and that's just sort of two cows that have been there for a week or so. But um, anyone that's sort of been to a zoo or 
anything and been up close to tigers or lions. Um, yeah, they they smell themselves. The stink kind of um, sticks to them, and that's something that uh, I think Sarah Harding touches on in the novel is that pred- uh, predators smell, and that she notices that even the herbivores smell like predators on the island. Yeah, just that smell of decay. Um, yeah. Uh, there's one good scene in the novel where Richard Levine, you can smell the raptors before he even sees them. Uh-huh. You can smell them in the in the in the forest. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's exactly how it'd be too. Like, yes, maybe it, even like how much lions and tigers smell. That's in the zoo where they're having their teeth brushed and having sort of mm-hmm. being upkept and and what and cleaned and washed. Whereas you have a look at animals out in the wild. I remember even the. Uh, the lagoon scene in Jurassic Park in the novel where you got the baby or the juvenile T-Rex there and he's sort of got flies buzzing around his head and same thing, bits of flesh hanging from his mouth that are sort of stuck between <laughs> his teeth and that. Like, that sort of just adds adds to the world a lot more, adds to the realism of it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about the scene is you could actually see they um, made this prop skull for an Edmontosaurus and that's like really the only evidence that we have of the animal having been been on the island. I was gonna ask. Skull of Edmontosaurus is kind of stuck behind the T-Rex animatronic there, the baby T-Rex animatronic in the corner. I was gonna ask because with the uh, the data sheets we looked at a couple of weeks ago, um, Edmontosaurus is in those data sheets. Um, mm-hmm. Now. Whether that's that's fan ad because the skull's here or because you can't they're not in the uh, the herd in the roundup are they? No, no. No, no. there's no actual CG it's model for them done. I never see any evidence for this animal being on Isosaurus. And there's a video on YouTube I posted up on our Facebook. I might do it again and just point out all the little itty bitties that we get to see. Is that there's um. Uh, there's this skull, there's this thing called Behind the Screams. There's a Universal Studios exhibition of a bunch of props used in the first two movies, and so you can see it's a really nice idyllic Edmontosaurus uh, skull, mm-hmm. you know, just shoved up there on the shelf like, like it was an afterthought. <laughs> like so much, so much in this movie that's just sort of, it's there but it's not there. Like it's not prominent um, yeah exactly which i've i've had these films on blu-ray for a while and i know you and some others have done sort of comparisons between the dvd or the blu-ray and the vhs um yeah. how much it sort of clears it up i with jurassic park yes i love how it sort of makes it cleaner shinier mm-hmm. it sort of it brightens the picture up a bit where the lost world i, I sort of love just the vhs grain um even the DVD, yeah, I, even I the DVD grain. Yeah, really. When you watch The Lost World on VHS, it really brings out this whole other characterization to the film itself. Yeah. Where you feel, you can literally feel how the island is meant to be a character, how Yanis Kalinske turned the background into its own kind of dangerous animal, you mm. know? Yep. And so the film is foggier, it's kind of darker, you can't see as much, and so it's just really great it's just a really great more experience than it is on the uh, blu-ray where you're and even in the um opening 
the, on the VHS in the opening, you can you can't tell that there's these blue skies there. It just all looks cloudy and moody and depressing and gray. And but and you look at it in the Blu-ray, and then you can see bits of sun peeking through the clouds. It almost looks kind of like it could be could almost be paradise. Mm. Yeah, and that's sort of one thing that'd be because um, they done the they done even the game with the. 3D version for Jurassic Park for the 25th anniversary, they sort of changed it around the colours again. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, they did. Well, for the, for, for, um, the Blu-ray of Jurassic Park, they didn't use the original 35mm Master, which didn't have this, really, which wasn't grainy at all. You can, you know, I've both seen the original 35mm Master. We were um, given, given it to us by a friend. And so, um, you really... You really see that this grain that's in the Blu-ray just isn't there. It's clean, it's crisp, it's beautiful. And but when you look at the Blu-ray, they I can't remember what master they used, but it wasn't the original 35 millimeters. And so it just has this grain filter that they forgot to remove. They removed it in the Blu-ray, or I mean in the 3D release, but they didn't in the 2011 Blu-ray, and it just looks kind of bad, you know? Yeah. Yep. I couldn't imagine seeing the Lost World in 3D. I just don't think the atmosphere in that lends itself to having no, those glasses it, on. No, I mean, it would be kind of cool. I'd give it a try. But, yeah, this this is a movie that's meant to be immersive. Not, like, it's meant to be a visually immersive kind of thing, not something that you watch to examine. Like, if, like if I was to watch... This movie for an examination, I would use the Blu-ray clips. But if I want to watch this movie for the experience, I'd watch the VHS. Yep. Yep. And it just it sort of make it one make you wonder the uh, like the vehicles in the herd during the roundup, and uh, even the team hanging off the cliff later on with the RV, sort of what they'd do in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, Honestly, so- I think that looked awesome in 3D. Yeah, because I, I keep on hearing a lot of people, and this is going to date the podcast terribly, but um, a lot of people have seen Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming, are saying this sort of the 3D when he's on top of that Washington mon- Monument um, really, really induces the, the fear of heights and vertigo. But then it's all shot at night too here, so yeah. how much would yeah, actually come through? How much the movie shot at night, you know? Mm. And that's something that was really lost after this movie, after Spielberg was... Yeah, Spielberg really used the kind of darkness of the islands, the darkness of the shadows and the foliage, the darkness of night, to to hide any kind of faults in the sets and the faults in the animatronics. And so you get you get this kind of perfection that isn't really that isn't really found in the other movies because well Jurassic Park well Lost I'm sorry, Jurassic Park three is kind of the opposite the it's the antithesis of the Lost World when it comes to lighting because Just Part 3, so much of the movie is filmed in daylight yeah. versus The Lost World where so much of it is filmed at night. Yep. And then Jurassic World continues what Just Part 3 did and there's like only one night scene in that entire movie and that's the end. Yeah. And it doesn't really, we don't really get a lot of Lost in the Jungle um, feelings from Jurassic World so you don't really get the play of shadows, you don't get that kind of immersive feeling that you get from The Lost World. And that's sort of one thing 
here with this Rex Nest as well. Like as you're saying, we don't know how big the set is. Um, mm-hmm. The way the way the two actors have walked in, um, they've come over a set of rocks down through a, a sort of a real narrow, dark um, tunnel of trees or foliage, and to come to this mm-hmm. nest, um, it makes you wonder what it would actually look like if they turned the contrast up to ten, but yeah. um, or the brightness up, but and you'd actually see, oh well, that's that's a styrofoam rock, and just having mm-hmm. it dark like this sort of makes it eerie, hides. Um, yeah, hides a lot of the sort of production stuff, and it's quite effective. Yeah, it is. That was a good little ramble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, anything else on minute forty you'd like to bring up before we get out of here for the week? Yeah, I think we uh, covered a lot of it. Yep, radio. All right, guys, let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. Email feedback to the Lost World Minutes at gmail.com, Facebook The Lost World Minutes, Twitter at The Lost World Minutes, and Instagram The Lost World Minutes. Easy to remember. Yeah, yeah, very easy to All remember. Right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. Welcome. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, 